Our scripture reading for this morning is Psalm 94, the entire thing. I'm not sure what page it's on, on the Black Bibles, but Psalm, what? 498 in the Black Bible, Psalm 94. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of people, fools, when will you see? When will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man who you disciple, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from the days of trouble until the pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought, my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you, those who frame injustice by statute? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death but the Lord has become my stronghold, and my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, I'm Ryan Phelps, uh, pastor here at Grace Point. So we have been in a series on the Psalms over the summer, summer Psalms as I'm calling it. And we are intentionally walking through them uh, step by step. Started in 92 or 94 today. Gil is going to hit 95 next week. And I intentionally do that because there are some psalms, as you, can, as you probably heard, that are more difficult than others, that are harder to understand than others. But we believe here at Grace Point that these are the words of God, that these are breathed out by God into His servants, written down for our benefit, written down for the world's benefit. And I believe that this psalm is from him for us, for the world today. But we need to uh, ask his help. We need the Holy Spirit's help to understand how this psalm works itself out. So let's pray before we begin. God, thank you for your abundant mercies in Christ. It is so good to dwell with your people, to be with your people and sing of your glory, your wonder, and especially your mercy. We are indebted to you for all things. You have given us not just our life and our breath, but you have given to us our salvation for we who believe. You have saved us out of the darkness and into light. You've saved us out of sin and into righteousness. 
You've saved us out of orphanhood and into adoption, into your family. May we be reminded of that as we enter into this psalm this morning. Would you give light to our minds, to our hearts, and to our souls? Help us to understand. But God, especially today, not just to understand, but to do something about it. Not just to understand so that we can sit and be comforted, but that we can be comforted so that we can be a comfort to others. That we can rise to help the afflicted, the crushed, those who are in despair, those who are under terrible justice. God, we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us once and for all by the work of the Spirit. Apply it to our lives now. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have a weird pet peeve that I need every light to be on in a room that I'm in. So I do that when I come to, to Bible study on Wednesday or Friday mornings. I come back. If, there, if that light is not on, it's not on right now, actually. I'll survive. In my house, if I'm sitting there and someone is, has not turned on one of, one of the lights, I've got to go and I've got to turn it on. It's a weird pet peeve. All the lights in, in, in my presence have to be on if I'm going to be in that Room. It drives me crazy if just one of them is off. In our church, we have turned a lot of lights on, so to speak. And what I mean is that we are healthy in ministry. We have turned on the lights of community, worship, kids' ministry, small groups, a deep love of the gospel and God's sheer grace, and so much more. We have turned so many lights on. This, this church is lit up with the presence of God. But there is one light in churches that often remains turned off. In too many churches, there is one light that sits off in the corner, off to the side that people are not aware of, are too worried to turn on, They forget. And it is the light of justice. The light of justice. As Christians, we are called to pour out our lives for the poor, for the outcast, for the refugee, for the unborn, for the unjustly treated. The Apostle James, if you remember, he calls this True religion, living yourselves, pouring yourselves out for the poor is true religion. It is the mark of true faith. People who are given to do justice, to acts of justice, have true faith. Religion, he says, that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. So my question this morning is really simple as we approach this semi-difficult psalm. Is the light of justice on in this church? Is the light of justice on in your hearts? We must approach the light with great fervency and passion. It must be in some ways the brightest light for our church, for the world. So three points this morning to walk us through Psalm 94. How do we respond to injustice? With lament, humility, 
and faith. Those are the three points. We respond to injustice with lament, humility, and faith. The first one, respond to injustice with lament. Read Psalm 94.1 if you have your Bibles open, and I hope you do. Psalm 94.1, O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth, rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay the proud what they deserve. Now, you need to set the stage immediately. The psalmist is concerned with justice. He is concerned with justice. He is concerned especially with the injustices that are being done to the people of God. So he says in verse 3, O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. Now, we don't know exactly what was going on. We have no idea what kind of injustices were being carried out against God's people. But we know that whatever was happening, it was unjust. And so the psalmist is crying out, Oh Lord, in light of this, please come. Please come and fix it. Please come and right these terrible wrongs. So this is not the prayer of a disgruntled, angry man. This isn't a nationalistic, blood-hungry, blood-thirsty, angry person. This is the prayer of a righteous person, a righteous man who after God's own heart, and he sees God's people suffering, and he says, Lord, come. Come deal with the injustice. Punish those. Set aside those who crush, afflict, kill, and murder. Bring justice to the weakest among us, the widow, the refugee, the orphan. This is very in line with how the Bible sees justice. Justice from a biblical perspective is this pretty simple idea. It is the notion, comes from the notion that all people are made in God's image. All people, every person made in God's image. And because they are made in God's image, they look like him. They are made like him. They have value. People made in God's image are inherently valuable. And so as image bearers, all humans, here's the point, should have the opportunity to flourish in this world. Every person made in God's image should have the opportunity to to flourish. So on the one hand, as we see here, humans should not have to endure psychological, physical violence and oppression. Isaiah says, and elsewhere, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. He's talking to business owners, people over workers. You seek your own pleasure. You oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast, and what he means is you worship, only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. That is no worship. That is grave injustice. Now today, what could you send that out to? So many different forms of injustice, oppression, like racism, abortion, slavery. Justice, on the one hand, is keeping evildoers at bay. That's what we usually think about, about making evildoers pay for what they have done. Push them aside, send them to jail. Make sure they are not breaking laws. That's what we usually think about justice. But the biblical idea of justice goes further. It goes deeper. 
means more than this. Doing justice from a biblical perspective also means that humans who are made in God's image should be given what they need to lead happy and peaceful lives. Justice means helping people to flourish. Not just stopping people from helping them, from from disenabling them from, from flourishing, but actually going to them to help them to flourish. So justice is also the state or the church or individuals infusing goods, power, resources into the lives of others, into societies, towns, schools. Now here's the kicker. To not do this, to refrain from helping if you have the resources to do so is unjust. Job 31.19 says this, If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or the needy without covering, if his body has not blessed me and if he was not warmed by the fleece of my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless because I saw my help in the gate, Then let my shoulder blade fall from my shoulder and let my arm be broken from its socket. For I was in terror terror of calamity from God and I could not have faced his majesty. That is amazing. Justice on the one hand is keeping oppressors at bay. It is giving them what they deserve. But it is also actively infusing goods and services, our power into human communities, into individuals, into people made in the image of God. Now, there is a biblical word for this, and that word is shalom. The biblical word for doing justice is shalom. Shalom is holistic, all-encompassing peace. Shalom is universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. One writer says that shalom is like an interwoven tapestry. God created the world to be a fabric for everything, to be woven together and interdependent. He writes this, If I threw a thousand threads on the table, they would not be a fabric. They'd just be threads lying on top of each other. Threads become a fabric when each one has been woven over and under and around and through every other one. The more interdependent they are, the more beautiful they are. The more interwoven they are, the stronger and warmer they are. God made the world with billions of entities, but he didn't make them to be an aggregation. Rather, he made them to be in a beautiful, harmonious, knitted, webbed, interdependent relationship with one another. Justice seeks that as its end, to bring shalom, the grace of God poured out through his people, woven together for the sake of the flourishing of all. Shalom, in other words, is how the world was supposed to go. This is how the, world, how the world was originally created. Shalom is how the world is meant to look. It is meant to be a place of justice, reflecting the justice, the character, the righteousness of God. But as you know, this tapestry, it was torn apart when the world fell. The interwoven tapestry of grace and justice and love was destroyed as Adam and Eve sinned. But they did not just sin 
what happened is that injustice began to be weaved into the tapestry of the world. Inequality, division and separation, oppression was weaved into the tapestry of the world. The psalmist sees this. He sees the widow, the fatherless, the orphan. He sees the sojourner, the refugee has come into their midst. He knows they are being oppressed. And so he laments. He laments not only because of the evil that is being done to them, but also because he knows what they are missing out on. The psalmist knows what life should be like. God created all humans in his image and he set them free into the world to bind them together into a beautiful, flourishing, holistic, peaceful society for his glory and for our joy. So when the psalmist sees the opposite, when he sees the injustice, the poverty, the death, the sadness, when he sees the suffering widow and orphan and sojourner, the weak, he laments, he cries out, Oh Lord, oh God of vengeance, oh God of vengeance, shine forth. Is that your heart? Is that your heart when you see injustice in the world? Do you feel a deep burden and sadness when the people of your world the humans created in God's image when they suffer under injustice. This is, the, this is the first step to responding well to injustice. We must lament. We must lament. But this is not easy. We must confess that. We must be aware of that. It is not easy to flip that light on. One of the problems with living in one of the safest and wealthiest parts of the safest and wealthiest countries is that it's hard to relate to injustice. It is hard to see and mourn, believe injustice. A South African pastor who lives in the suburbs of his ministry in the suburbs of South Africa said this. He said, the suburbs are wonderful. I really like living in them. The schools are good. The parks are good. The areas are safer. But they can have a numbing impact on people. So that when they see other people experiencing injustice, their response becomes one where their own experience with lack of injustice towards them allows them to negate the injustice experienced by others. That's hard. Psychologists call this projection. We project our own feelings and circumstances on others. If we don't feel a certain way, if we don't ever experience a particular injustice in this case, then we have a hard time believing it and feeling it for others. And of course, then we would not lament it. But we may, must take stock of our hearts and what the Lord says. The Bible is clear that injustice will always be part of the fallen world. Injustice will always be part, it will always be part of this broken world. It will be real and widespread and awful. And God's heart breaks for those who cannot protect and provide for themselves. Let me just add this. Jesus is very clear that our ability to relate to and lament over and act on behalf of the poor is one of the primary markers of faith. And so, friends, where there is injustice, we must lament. Like God, we must lament the ongoing racial inequality and oppression even in our country. 
We must lament the tens of millions of workers who suffer under brutal conditions and low wages to bring us cheap products. We must lament the cycles of violence and fatherlessness and poverty that exist in our own towns and neighborhoods. We must lament the oppression of men and women and children throughout the world who are not able to freely worship. We must lament the millions of abortions. We must lament the victims of slaves, of slavery in Europe and in Asia. We are told in verses 9 through 11, if you see there, that God sees all. He hears all. Though the oppressor says, the Lord does not see, does not know, he does not hear. The psalmist knows. God who created the ear hears. God who created the eyes, he sees. God who created the mind, he knows us. He is not blind to the injustice of the world. His heart breaks over it. The question is, do ours, do our hearts break? The first step to responding well to injustice is to weep, to mourn, to lament. Two, respond to injustice with humility. Respond to injustice with humility. So read the section, and it's starting in verse 12. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from the days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. So I want you to notice that the that the subject of the prayer has shifted. So at first, it dealt, the first thing that we dealt with, the first thing the psalm deals with is that God dealing with the unjust, God dealing with the oppressors, the evildoers of the world. But now if you noticed, the psalm has turned around to the psalmist himself. It is about God dealing with him. Blessed is the man whom you discipline. Blessed means, in in kind of a colloquial way, happy. A deep and abiding happiness. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, whom you turn to your word, to your law. As this man cries out for God to enact justice, as he calls out evildoers for their stupidity, He says immediately after this, and yet I know I am held accountable by you too, God. You who see all, you who hear all, you who know all, you see me. You know my heart. As you punish those who punish the poor, you, Lord, must hold me accountable in your discipline. I am happiness. I am happiest when I am with your law, under it, abiding by it. I am accountable to you and you alone. In other words, here is a person who knows his place. He is humbled before the Lord. That is so important when we talk about doing justice, as we talk about infusing shalom into the world. If the psalmist were to say something like, O Lord, rise up in vengeance, for I am so much better than these people. What would be going on in his heart? The same thing that is going on in the hearts of the oppressors. The evil oppressed because they believe they are above, that they are better than the poor, the widow, the sojourner. They crush, they kill because they have the power, the money, the ability. But the godly person must remain humbled because he knows, she knows and trusts and loves and fears God. 
The same God who sees and knows and hears the evildoer, he sees and knows and hears us. We who seek righteousness, we who seek to help the unjust, those who are suffering under injustice, we know we are nothing without him. All that we have comes from him. This is so important because if you are not humbled under God's grace, if you are not humbled under his love and his righteousness and his sovereignty, you will have a hard time serving the poor. If you do not believe that all that you have comes from God, you will have a hard time responding to injustice in the world because you will say to yourself, it's so easy. Well, the reason that I'm not poor and oppressed is because of who I am. And who I am is a hard worker. Who I am is smart. If the poor were only more like me, well, they would not be poor. That is what rises up in the heart of the prideful person. And the prideful person will not help the poor. The prideful person will not seek flourishing. This is the sort of self-justification that gives rise, friends, to all injustice. I want you to hear this section from Tim Keller's book, a beautiful book on justice called Generous Justice. He says this. This concept is counterintuitive for most Americans. We believe that if we have had had success in life, it is mainly the result of our hard work. We therefore have the absolute right, we feel like we have the absolute right to use our money as we see fit. But while the Bible agrees that industriousness or the lack of it is an irreplaceable part of why you are successful or not. It is never the main reason. And he gives this example. If you were born on a mountaintop in Tibet in the 13th century, instead of a western country in the 20th century, then no matter how hard you worked, you wouldn't have had much to show for it. If you have money, power, and status today, it is due to the century and place in which you were born, to your talents and capacities and health, none of which you actually earn. In short, all of your resources are in the end a gift of God. What is the psalmist saying? What is he praying? Lord, I am happiest under your discipline. I am happiest when I am held accountable by you. I am happiest when I realize that all of life comes from you. I love you and I submit myself before you. Everything that I have is yours. This is where I'm most content. And it is that life that is most easily poured out for others. The humbled life is most easily given to great acts of sacrifice and service. Everything I have, O Lord, is a gift from you. How, therefore, could I not give what you have given me to others, to those who need it the most? Respond to injustice with humility. Last point. Respond to injustice with faith. Respond to injustice with faith. The psalm, of course, is speaking to the people of God. It is speaking for the people of God. It is lament for the Israelites. And now a lament for us. But so far, the lament has been directed to those who are dealing with justice. We see it, we cry out. We see it, we are humbled. But the psalm also speaks to those who are suffering under the yoke of injustice 
now. It speaks to those so beautifully, to those who are living in poverty, who are trapped in systemic inequality, who are not treated as they should be as children of God, as those made in the image of God. This psalm speaks for them. The un, the, those who are under injustice, they cry out, verse 16, who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? But to the hurt, to the oppressed, to the poor, the psalm prays for them this glorious truth. that God is with you. Verse 17 If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have soon lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? Those who frame injustice by statute, they band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. This is the cry of unimaginably good news. This is the the acknowledgement of a ridiculously amazing promise. God reigns. God reigns for, the, for those who are suffering. God reigns for those who cannot protect themselves. God reigns for the widow, the widower, the widow, the fatherless, the refugee. Though he will for a time allow the sufferer, will allow those to suffer for their own sake, yet this will not always be. He will fight your battles. He will subdue your enemies. He will pull you out of the mire of injustice and the deep waters of oppression, and he will bring you into shalom. Here is the God we must all trust. Here is the God that we must have faith in. He is never far. He is always working for us. George Mueller, who sought justice for thousands and thousands of orphans in in England in the 19th century, once said this, I desire that you may taste the sweetness of that state of heart in which while surrounded by difficulties and necessities, you can yet be at peace because you know that the living God, your Father in heaven, cares for you. We respond in justice. We must. We respond with lament, with humility, and with faith. Now, I told you there were going to be three points, but I need to add one. It's been leading up to this. We must respond to injustice with action. Our lament, our humility, and our faith must lead us to action on behalf of the poor, the oppressed, the hurting, the forsaken. We are called to action to alleviate the injustice of the world. We are called, as Tim Keller says, to reweave shalom into the broken fabric of the societies of God. Reweaving shalom, he says, means to sacrificially thread lace and press your time, goods, power, and resources into the lives and needs of others. This must be the mark of our lives. In one way or another, we must meet the needs of the poor in our midst, in our communities, in our towns, in our schools. 
James 1.27 says again, religion that is pure and undefiled before, the God, before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions. So this is more than just praying. It is more than just giving money and walking away. This is hands-on. This is proactive. This means getting your hands dirty. Now listen, I've been trying to guilt trip you a little bit, but I want you to know that the church has been amazing in doing this. I am so proud of the people of our church for doing what this psalm is leading us to. I'm amazed at the men and women who serve often had somebody cares as they seek to provide for the poor of Havron. I'm amazed at the men and women who regularly go to Moldova to bring hope and goods to the services, to the service and to services to the men and women and children who need it the most. I'm amazed at the men and women in this church who had, have given themselves. They have given their bodies, their time, their money, their energy to foster care and adoption. I'm amazed at the small groups who rise up when someone in their midst is struggling, hurting, oppressed. And I could go on. I believe this is happening in our church and will continue to happen and grow because our church is amazed at Jesus. We are amazed by the sheer beauty and the grace given to us by him. We who were lost and oppressed and homeless and fatherless. He came to us. And he gave us everything we needed. He, Jesus, who was poor and homeless. He was who was crushed and afflicted and killed. He who weaved his righteousness and mercy into ours for our shalom. We see him. This church is seeing him. We are heartened, encouraged, and impassioned by him now to give our service to others, to give the grace and love that he's given to us for justice, for justice for the poor. And I ask you only this, that we would raise our imaginations, that we would imagine together with great joy and humility what else and more we can do. God is with us and he cares for us. He cares for the poor. May our hearts go with his. Let's pray. Oh God, we now ask for your mercy. Though we know you have called us to this life, to pour out our lives in service of the poor and the oppressed, those who are trapped in injustice. We confess before you that we know we have not done enough. For fear, for pride, for something else, we have been kept at bay. We have kept kept ourselves back too much. And so we confess before you. We ask for your mercy. God, I pray that we would have new eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to know. The same that you have. That we would have eyes for those who are suffering, for those who are oppressed. That we would have hearts that would go to them, that would not just mourn their loss, that would not just mourn that they are not in shalom, but that we would go to them. 
and we would give our lives to them. And God, I pray for this church. We pour a lot of money and energy into this process, into this project, but we need to do more, and so I pray that you would help us. God, you say that the mark of faith, the mark of true religion is that we would visit the oppressed. May that mark our church. When people hear the name Grace Point, may they know that we have given ourselves to shalom for this city, for the cities that surround us, for this state, and for the world. Lord, we know ultimately that we will only do this by your grace. We cannot do this on our own. We will fail. And we know you are merciful. We know you are gracious. And you will give us the strength to do so. God, infuse us again by your strength now as we go to take communion together. We come to this table not to give anything but to take, but to receive and to remember your great love. You are upholding us by the power of your word, by the power of your love. May we remember you again and may this strength send us out the door to do your work in the world. In Jesus' name. Amen.